evening. Today's Bible reading is from Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So we're going to pause our series on uh, 1 John. If you can just turn me down just a smidgen, that'd be good, Nick, thanks. Um, uh, pause our sermon series on 1 John for uh, just for this week, and we'll pick that up again next week. But I thought it'd be good for us on our kickoff day uh, to consider why we do the things we do as a church. Why is it that, you know, we as a church continue to say things like, you know, we are a church that is dedicated to making disciples, we want people to take their next step towards Jesus and so on. Why do we, um, why do we keep harping on about that? What are some of the principles, really, that sit under that statement? And why are we, uh, you know, why are, what are the foundational things that, that our church plan is built on? Why are we so big on growing a culture of invitation, of being ready as people to engage those around us? Well, in Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses 2 to six, uh, 6, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and um, he's instructing the church to be ready to spread the gospel in a number of different ways. Uh, and he tells them to do three things that are the same th- three things that also still apply to us to this day. And he tells them to be watchful in prayer, to witness through God opening doors, and to have wisdom in, uh, in both in the way we use our time and in our salty words, um, which is not what we as Australians mean by salty language, but we'll talk about that in a little while. So um, uh, let's look first then at verse 2. So Paul is writing to the church and he says this to them. This is how they are to be. Devote yourselves to prayer... Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Now, friends, we have a tendency, I think, to neglect prayer because it's maybe because it's one of those things we don't see. We don't necessarily immediately see the fruit of our prayerful labors. Maybe it's one of those things, you know, because we, uh, we don't want to be the people standing on the street corners praying out loud so that everyone would see how righteous we are and, and we want to pray in private so that what, we, what is done in private, God in he- heaven sees. And maybe because of that, um, we have a bit of a uh, sort of a culture of, of neglecting prayer. But Paul here is reminding us that prayer is to be prioritised as, uh, as something the church is to do. It has a purpose. We are to devote ourselves to it and then to see what God reveals to us in it, to, to see what happens. Devote yourselves to prayer, he says, and stay alert in it. In the prayer, we are to stay alert with thanksgiving. Now, that's an interesting statement for Paul to make. You see, when the Colossian Christians are instructed to devote themselves to prayer, it's, it's really not an optional extra. It's not something the church might do or might be encouraged to do. This is a command that he gives the church and still applies to us today. 
To devote yourself to something is to set your mind to it and to pursue it and to do it uh, with kind of fervor, with, you know, with passion. And like the Colossian church, Scripture here calls us to pray uh, kind of like Paul instructs here. But why should we do it? Well, because we are pursuing Jesus. We want to be like Christ, don't we? If we are Christians, little Christs, then we are to act like our big Christ, right? And if Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, then his life should really shape how our life should look in relationship with God. So when you look at the life of Jesus, then how does he approach this idea of prayer, of, of praying? How does he, uh, you know, how does he pray? And when we look even just a cursory glance through the New Testament at how Jesus prays, uh, we see that, in fact, he devoted himself to prayer. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, uh, dark, he, that is Jesus, got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and he was there praying. Luke 5, 16. Yet he often withdrew himself to deserted places and prayed. Again in chapter 6 and verse 12. During those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. Matthew 14, 23. After dismissing the crowds, Jesus went up to the mountain by himself to pray and well into the night he was there alone in prayer. Over and over and over again. We see this man who is devoted to spending time with God in prayer. And if we're going to be following his example, then we should be devoted to prayer. And you realize that not just when Jesus was on earth was he a man devoted to prayer. Right now, he is praying for you in heaven with God. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 tells us, Therefore, he, that is Jesus, who is able to, completely, uh, to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus' work right now in heaven with God is to pray for his people. And if we are to be people of, uh, that pursue Christ, we are to pray for others perhaps in the same way. Now, the reality is when you spend time with another person, you know, uh, when you hang out with your friends, you are being formed and you are being shaped into a version of that person. The saying goes that bad company corrupts good morals, right? Well, the opposite is true too. Good company reinforces good morals. And the more time we spend in prayer with God, the more devoted we are to prayer, the sweeter that time becomes and the more we look like Jesus over time. But let's be real here. This kind of Devotion requires action and it requires willpower. Perhaps it requires structure. Now, you may not know that uh, know this, but we have a prayer meeting that runs here at church every Thursday uh, morning, 12 o'clock. Uh, no, not 12 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock noon uh, here at church. And during this prayer time, uh, some of the leaders of our church get together and we specifically pray that God would use our church to grow his kingdom. 
that he would give us gospel fruit, that he would empower us to be people that help other people come to know him and grow in him. And we started these prayer meetings at the beginning of last year because we realized if we are going to succeed, succeed uh, at bringing people to Christ through the pray for two kind of thing we've been talking about, if we're, then we're really wading into a spiritual war. We need a belt of truth and a breastplate of righteousness and so on. We, we are wading into a spiritual war. And so we need to be devoted, watchful, ready to pray. But here's the thing. That's not my favourite thing to do. It's Thursday, right? Sermons need to be written for Sunday. Youth group material needs to be prepped for Friday. People need to be met with. There are things to do. An hour or so of extra time would really be very beneficial at a busy week for the things that I need to do. But as Oswald Chambers once said, prayer is not the thing that fits us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And so you persevere, you devote yourself to it. But here's the thing, something strange happened for me as, as we did this after a couple of months. It became much less a slog to wade through, much less an hour to endure. It was a time, rather, of sweet communion. It was a time where I got to join in battle, actually, with my fellow warriors. A time where we could spend time with our holy general, right? And there's something special about that time. When, when we say amen after this hour of prayer, almost invariably the people involved will look up and there's this kind of poignant moment in it where we are standing with feet in two different spheres, the physic, physical and the spiritual, and it's kind of weird. And there's this moment every week where we need to transition back almost into this world. And so for a moment, we awkwardly sit there and stare at each other, a little bit like stunned mullets, and we need to shift back. And when we do, we get on with the rest of the day. But what felt like a waste of time has become an hour spent with comrades in arms, joining the battle that is well worth fighting. But that kind of prayer commitment requires devotion. It did way back in Paul's days, and it still does today. And so the reason we as a church are so big on prayer is because God is big on prayer. And the reason we structure events in and, and plans around praying for two people is because actually we might need some structure like having a set time every week or a set two people to pray for uh, to keep us on track. You know, great spiritual revival invariably only happens after great prayer efforts. So pray, says Paul, and watch. Be alert in it with thankfulness and see what will happen. We are to be watchful in prayer. But secondly, we are to see, to witness through God opening doors. Verse 3 and 4. At the same time, says Paul, pray also for us, that God may open a door for us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in change, so that I may make it known as I, sh as I should. So this prayer that Paul is saying to be devoted to has a purpose. 
Even as we just said, look at what Paul is asking them to pray for. He's praying that God might open a door for us. Now, the us here is the gospel workers with Paul. Paul himself, the apostle, but the others who are also teaching about Jesus. So, uh, open a door for us, the gospel preachers, to make Jesus known. Now, there are several things for us to note here. One is not every person is a preacher the way Paul was an apostle, right? We're not all apostles. The Bible teaches that God specifically gives some gifts to some, you know, to proclaim the word, to make Jesus known in a special way. And in the case of Paul, it actually results in him being locked up and is in chains here, being arrested as being a troublemaker for Jesus. And that's not something we're all called to. Some are to be apostles, some are preachers and teachers, some are evangelists. There are those that God gives the church who have special gifts to do this kind of work. But everyone has a role to play. Everyone is called to pray, to pray for an effective transmission, for open doors for God's word. To be effective at proclaiming the mystery of Christ, uh, is how Paul puts it. Everyone is to pray that God would open doors. And so part of the reason our church plan is undergirded by prayer is because God kind of gives us this principle. Pray for people, that doors might be open. And when we align ourselves to the principles of Scripture, uh, you know, God gives the fruit. And so Paul is saying to the church here in Colossae, pray that doors might be open. And we're just asking you to do the same thing, to pray for two the doors might be open so that when we invite them, we might proclaim the mystery of Christ in a way that is, uh, you know, that sort of my task is different to your task. And so when we pray for two, when we invite those two to hear the gospel at a invite a friend day or something, we're just following the same principle Paul is laying out here in, in Colossians chapter 4. So will you join us? Will you join us in praying that God would open doors so that we can witness to others about what Jesus has done? Please do. Watchfulness in prayer, witness what God does through open doors. And the third thing is we need to have wisdom in the way we use our time and with salty words. Now, the salty words that Paul talks about here is not the Australian slang of having a salty kind of language. Uh, it means words that preserve, like salt would preserve meat. It's that kind of word. It's word that, that preserves society, actually. Now, let's see how that works together. Verse 5. Act wisely towards outsiders. Make the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each, each person. Now, notice here that, uh, that being prepared to speak about Jesus isn't something that just God's appointed special people are to do. So yes, absolutely, God gives the church special preachers, special teachers, special evangelists and so on. But actually, the everyday kind of talking about Jesus, that's for all of us. Yes, there are special roles, but you can't just hand over the work of sharing Jesus to the church as an organization because the church as an organization does not have access to the kinds of people that God has placed you in the communities the the workspaces the schools universities and so on where you live only you have access to those people 
You have access to people we will never have access to, and so you need to be ready with gracious speech and salty words. And so Scripture calls you to have wisdom here, wisdom in how you act in your time and wisdom in how you speak. And Paul gives us a couple of specific ways about how we are to be wise. Firstly, he says we are to act wisely, making the most of the time. It literally says you are to walk in wisdom. And the implication here is that we, as, we go, you know, as we go about our daily lives, we're walking in a pagan world, actually. In a world that is against God. A world in which lordship of Christ doesn't really fit well with the way most people understand. And so we need wisdom, actually, in when we encounter these kinds of people. And throughout the letter of Colossians, when Paul uses the words uh, to, walk in wisdom, you know, to walk in God's way or whatever, he's talking about a life that, um, with Jesus as its centre, a life worthy of the calling we have, have received as people that are in Christ. And so now Paul says, that life that looks so different from the world around you, that life is how you preach Jesus to the world a lot of the time. If you're going to live in a culture that, that is so different from having Christ at the centre, then if you are in the world, you should stand out. You should stand out to such an extent that it preaches you, that you have a different Lord, a different set of values, you live for a different kind of kingdom than those around you. And I think this causes us to question, doesn't it, friends? Does my life actually stand out from those around me? When people look at the way I live, do they notice that I'm a bit weird? Because they should. They should notice that my life is different. They should notice that I act different. They should notice that you prioritise different things in life to what they would. Paul is saying here, live as if you are on a mission because you are on a mission and you have a limited time to complete the goal. It's like a commander prepping his team, you know, before running into the battlefield. They're huddled just outside the fortress where, let's say, the Russians are. Uh, Everyone sink your watches on my mark, you know, three, two, one, mark. And then we have two hours to complete the extraction before the helicopter come. Go, 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 you know, it's that kind of a thing. There's actually a reason, a reason the mission field is called a mission field, because we're on a mission. Our commanding officer has prepped us for the mission. Now, we can't sink our watches because we don't know when the extraction chopper is going to come. But we do have a limited time to complete said mission. And so when we walk, when we live as missionaries, we are to walk in wisdom, making use of every opportunity we have making the most of the time that God has given us. My friends, do you see the urgency in this? To live a life that proclaims Christ requires that we seize the opportunities that come our way, to be watchful in prayer, to pray that God will open the doors, but yes, when he does, to actually seize those opportunities, to make the most use of them. So how do we do it? Well, that's the last part. And the last thing we want to focus on this morning. Paul tells us in verse 6, he says, Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how you should answer each person. Speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. Know how to answer. Now I have a perhaps unusually substantial interest in apologetics. Apologetics is the study of how you you know, defend the faith. If someone asks you a question, you know, how can you believe in God? Uh, you know, it's the study of how you answer that. To be ready to give a reason for the hope we have, as Peter says in his letter. But I think this is something that every Christian should be equipped in, at least at a basic level. When someone says to you, you know, I don't think there's any evidence that God exists. I think all of us should be able to say, well, actually, I can think of at least three reasons for why God exists, and here they are. The universe exists. Where did it come from? You know, even if you believed in the Big Bang, who was the Big Banger, if you like? Uh, to me, it takes far more faith to believe that out of the infinitesimal nothing came the, ex you know, the infinite everything we have today. It takes more faith to believe in that than it does to believe in a God who makes everything. Reason one, or reason two. And while we're talking about it, the second reason is that everything that exists is so finely tuned, you know. If we were to change any of the uh, sort of number of constants we have in the universe, whether it's the cosmological constant, the weight of the power of gravity, or any of these kinds of things, the entire universe would be totally unable to sustain life. The universe is so finely tuned that the likelihood of it existing the way it does and has these conditions which actually allow for life and, and to, to exist to happen by chance, that's so infinitesimally small. And I don't have enough faith to believe in a universe like that. And actually, while we're at it, number three is that the, you know, there's this kind of universally agreed upon morality in the world. Every culture and every, every society across all times has this same sort of sense of morality. We all agree that, you know, we might differ on how many wives you should have, but we all agree that you shouldn't steal the other man's wife. Why is that? Unless there is some moral lawgiver out there. I think it takes far more faith to believe that evolution evolved the morality we share as an entire human race to give us the sense of right and wrong. It takes far more faith to believe in that than a moral lawgiver who tells us what's right and wrong. Anyway, something like that. I think we should all be ready at any time to have that discussion. Thursday night, I went to meet with a friend of mine and this is almost the exact discussion we had. We should be ready to have these discussions. We live in a world that does not know God, so we should have some skills. Anyway, I'm quite interested in apologetics, but you can have good arguments, and even though they are good, they can be made in such a poor way that it fails to do what Paul has said here. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. It should taste flavoursome. Know the other person well enough to know what's going to land and not. Our goal is not to win the argument. Our goal is to win the person through the Holy Spirit using us, of course. But the goal is not to be right. The goal is to point the other to, to the person who is righteous. Is there a wise way of doing that? Well, the reason we have these built-in stepping stones in our church plan is so that people can take the next step towards Jesus. 
Wisdom tells us that most of the time you're not going to help someone come all the way from being a, you know, a, a vehement atheist to a committed follower of Christ in one conversation. That's just not going to happen. But if someone is extremely anti-church, well, they might well come to a social night that's really just a social night inside a church. That's one step. They might do that. And once they see that actually Christians are not people with four different heads, uh, the next step might be to invite them to a, a growth group, a sila night, some sort of other event, and invite a friend Sunday. Graciously, step by step, helping people take the next step. That's why our plan looks the way it does. We want to equip people with the structures they need to encourage others to take the next step. So that the church does what it can do as an organisation and the church does what it can do as a people. And that's really what lies underneath what we do. Watchful in prayer, praying for opportunities that God would open doors, being wise with our time, seizing the opportunities God has and being wise with our words so that his kingdom will grow. And that's why we do what we do. And it's my prayer that you will join us in that. Let me pray. Lord, you are good. You are a good God who gives us really helpful and practical instructions in Scripture. And Lord, you know the plan that, uh, that um, we believe you have brought us to as a church. And we've thought about that and prayed about that for a long time. And now we pray that you will bless that. Help us where we've erred. But it does seem, Lord, that Scripture aligns, or that we align closely with what Scripture here, at least in Colossians, teaches us. We pray that you will make us people that are devoted to prayer. We pray that you will make us watchful in it. We pray that you will help us to pray for opportunities to speak the gospel. We pray that you will help us to be most effective at taking the opportunities we have, being wise with our time and words, so that your kingdom may grow. And may it be, Lord, that through our efforts, many, many will come to know you. We don't want this because it will look good for us. We want this, Lord, because you have called us to make disciples of all nations. And so we pray that as we pursue that, that you will bless our plan, change our hearts, and make us effective, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.